Hey, everybody, welcome to Rocks Across the Pond. It's a curling podcast coming to you from Richmond, Virginia. My name is Ryan McGee, and joining me as always from Southampton, England, our own professor of Peel, Jonathan Havercroft. Jonathan, I am unnaturally excited about this episode. This might be the most excited I've been about a, a podcast that, that we've done so far. And why is that, Ryan? Because we are talking about the most important curling tournament on the calendar. And which one is that? That is the USA Curling Arena National Championships. And when I edit this in, I may go in and add like reggaeton horns when I say Arena Nationals. But we are talking about Arena Nationals coming up May 5th through 11th in Westchester, Pennsylvania. All right. I like that event. We played in it together, you and me. We did in the first one in 2013 in Fort Wayne, Indiana. We didn't do that well, though. We won two games. That's true. We went two and two, right? Uh, We went two and three. We would have, and we would have done done a lot better if you had made your guard in in our second game against Lone Star Curling Club. I don't even remember that. You're still holding a grudge for me like seven years ago for a blown guard. Yeah, I am. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It's brilliant. <laughs> yes, I am. Because uh, if you had made that guard, they would have had no shot. And since you missed that guard, they had one shot, which was an angle run back, which somehow an arena curler made to beat us. Yeah. <laughs> That's how it goes sometimes, man. Yeah, I'm still I'm still bitter uh, toward you for missing that guard. That's <laughs> <sighs> life. Sometimes <laughs> you make them, sometimes you don't. That's the life of a skip, Jonathan. Basically. All right, so, so this is the seventh Arena Nationals, and you were kind of part of bringing this thing to life. And... We have two new teams uh, participating this year, the Diamond State Curling Club and Sioux Falls Curling Club. That brings the total since the, in the seven years that this event has been held, if my math is correct, and it probably isn't because I was a journalism major, uh, 46 different clubs in either the men's or women's uh, competition participating in this event. And you you were, you were part of the USCA board when this event was uh, came to be, right? Yeah. So yeah, I was on the board from 2010 to 2013 and I, I kind of got onto the board uh, basically through helping out at both Dallas and o- Oklahoma City and kind of getting some growth in, in those regions with arena clubs. And so for people who aren't USA curling listeners, you just explain an arena club is a club that rents ice from normally a hockey arena or figure skating arena. And they normally turn around the ice from skating to curling in, well, sometimes in 30 minutes or less, sometimes an hour would be optimal. But they normally just kind of hire the ice for a two or four hour session once a week. Um, And it's a way to get the sport of curling going in parts of the U.S. in particular where there hasn't historically been curling. And so since um, curling entered the Olympics in 2000. To, to 98, but 2002 seems to be when it really took off in the U.S. Um, there's been a lot of growth in kind of the southern regions of the U.S. and the West Coast and the Southeast, 
uh, and even you know even down from our part of the country uh, in Texas, Oklahoma area. And that's all arena clubs. That's there's no dedicated ice, or until very recently there wasn't really any dedicated ice outside of the upper Midwest and the Northeast, with the exception of uh, Seattle. So most of USA curling is arena club curling. And when I joined the board, one of the complaints from a lot of USA curling members was there weren't really many championships available for arena curlers because they would. Um, you know, they weren't, you weren't able playing one night a week on not very good ice to get to a standard where you had any shot to even compete against club curlers, let alone people playing for kind of high performance team. And so the thinking was, let's create a championship for arena curlers. And so that's how the event came about. Yeah. I remember early days of the Oklahoma club before arena nationals came to be, we had a team go up to Chicago cause that was at the time the nearest dedicated ice uh, to play down for our regional, for club nationals, and it did not go well. And it was clear that, you know, there's a big difference between clubs who can get ice on a regular basis and clubs like ours that can go out and curl once a week on less than optimal curling ice. So we were really excited when th- when this event came to be, and I've been to it three times. It's been more fun each time. And it's, I think it's a, I think it's a special tournament because the people who go to this, um, it's more competitive than a bond spiel. It's not people going there just to have fun. Although when we got, uh, mathematically eliminated, I kind of went more toward the fun side than the competitive side when we were at these things. Um, but you don't get people who are super intense, like you might get at some of the other national championships. Yeah, and it's also I think a bit of a convention too. Like it is also like from the get go, there is all always designed to have some kind of um, classroom element. So our first year there, we had Sandra McMacken, who was mm-hmm. a USA curling coach, and she gave some kind of strategy talks and kind of uh, curling team dynamic talks. And we had some uh, talk by Kim Nowen, who was at the time the USA curling growth and development director. Uh, on kind of on how to kind of transition from an arena club to dedicated ice and kind of recruitment strategies. So on top of the curling, there's also some kind of trading of knowledge and and skill building kind of exercises too. Yeah, I, I keep saying it's part part convention, part uh, family reunion, and part support group for arena curlers every year at this tournament. Um, and it seems like the the classroom aspect has kind of moved more toward the member assembly. Uh, which is an annual actual convention held by uh, USA Curling, uh, which I have not had a chance to attend, but it looks like a great event. And the most important thing that I think that USA Curling does is after that event, they, they've started building this knowledge base by posting all of the, the classroom sessions and all of the, all of the uh, kind of roundtable sessions that they have at the member assembly online. So they've actually built kind of this knowledge base for clubs to look at and see uh, where they can improve. Yeah, that's good to see too, right? So it's a good, it's good to, to see this kind of growth. And I think even if you're not a USA curler or even an arena curler, I really firmly believe having kind of come through the arena curling movement that if curling is going to take off in the US, you really need these arena clubs thriving in every state. And those arena clubs eventually become dedicated curling facilities. 
And that eventually is what's going to get you a sport where you could play it in all 50 states at a kind of pretty high competitive level. And I think that becomes a game changer, both for the U.S. in terms of how it performs internationally, but also more curlers in the U.S. means more fans, means more money, which also I think changes the kind of dynamics for the professional and Olympic game too, in terms of the amount of money in the sport and the chance for actually even the the high-end players to play professionally. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Everyone who comes to an arena nationals loves being there, loves that the event is there for them to kind of raise their game and have something to strive for. But they all want it to be their last year there because they want to graduate to having dedicated ice. It's kind of a weird dynamic. You you love being there, but you don't want to have you don't want to come back because you want to be ineligible for it. Yeah, and that's good to see too, right? So we've got a couple of clubs, I think, close to graduating out, right? Yep, so we do. And so which do you know which ones they are? Or uh, San Francisco and um, I know uh, San Francisco's one and Pittsburgh. So two of the two of the teams that have been there every year. It looks like this is going to be their last year at Arena Nationals because they have uh, dedicated facilities under construction. And that's great to see because actually Pittsburgh and, and the San Francisco Bay Area are two of the oldest arena clubs. So they've been kind of going for, I think, more than 15 years. I think San Francisco Bay Area is like decades and Pittsburgh's, I think, a 15 or 20 year plus uh, club at this point. And so it's good to see that long-term arena clubs can make that transition and kind of build up the membership, build up their funding to the point where they can build a facility because that's not a cheap proposition. Yeah. So that is good to see too. And this is, this is an event that keeps evolving. I know when we first participated in it, it was a double knock and then a consolation bracket. Now it's they, they've had enough interest in enough teams that they, that they have gone to pool play, which I actually prefer. I prefer knowing when I'm going to be on the ice and how to prepare for the amount of time that I have between games. So I actually prefer pool play. Um, the disadvantage is you can wind up playing a couple games that mean nothing if you drop those first two. Um, the other thing that they've done, I think this year might be the first year they may have done it last year. I can't remember. I can't remember is they've added a consolation bracket even after pool play. So the number of teams that are eliminated early and if they have their flights scheduled have to stick around for a couple days with no games to play is a lot less now which is really great to see that they've added this this consolation uh, bracket the other thing that they've done is they've made it a sunday to saturday event which allows people to just take five days off work we talk about um there were there were a few years there it was kind of tough where you were having to take six to seven days off of work uh, because you were having to travel on on Monday or Tuesday after the event um, which was really tough for a lot of people now it's you can travel Saturday you play and then you can travel back on Sunday and you're only taking five days off which to me is a great um, which is a great change yeah, so it's, it's, it sounds like they've been kind of tweaking it every year, listening to feedback, making the event better and better, which is kind of how these events grow and succeed over time. And it's something you can do different things with because there's not a world championships attached to this event. Yeah, I think, it, and you know, that's good too. I think that there, it doesn't have to have a world championships attached to every event. I do think that we've been talking a lot this year 
about the the kind of implosion of the the mid tier, like kind of semi competitive amateur part of the game. And I think growing more events like this, where it's more competitive than club level, and kind of lets you go out and play competition from all over the country, but maybe doesn't necessarily lead to an Olympics is the kind of event that can attract a lot of kind of serious but not elite curlers and give them something to aim for and something to structure their season around too, which I think is an important thing as well. Yeah, and we'll we'll talk about this more when we start going team by team here in a bit, but there are a lot of people who are relatively new to curling who, because of this event, have kind of challenged themselves and it's made them motivated to become better curlers because they knew that they were going to be participating this week in Westchester. Uh, so... That uh, transitions us to actually talking about this year's event, which, uh, as we said, will be at the Ice Line in Westchester from Sunday, May 5th through Saturday, May 11th. Um, This is the second time that Westchester is hosted. They also hosted in 2016, which was the last time that I competed with Oklahoma Curling Club. Um, The defending champions are mostly back. You have DFW on the men's side and Cleveland Skating Club on the women's side. They are your defending champions. They both have teams in this event, and for the most part, the rosters are the same. Uh, So they will be heading to Westchester. And before we get into going team by team, we have an interview with Travis Geyser. And Travis is in sports and events for Chester County's CVB. He's going to tell us how Westchester came to host this event, what kind of connection there is between curling and Chester County. And he's going to give the 180 curlers, uh, 180 plus curlers that are heading to Westchester some ideas on where they can go between games and some things they can see. Um, Because this isn't just, uh, this isn't one of those events where you're completely focused on the curling because there isn't that world's element. It's a national championship and it's serious, but it's also... You know, it's not it's not too serious, which is what the which is the great thing about this event. So, some things to do in Chester County between games, and uh, we will. Here's our interview with Travis Geyser. All right, we are here with Travis Geyser, and Travis is with Chester County. Um, he is their sports and events sales manager for the Chester County Conference and Visitors Bureau, which, of course, includes Westchester, where Arena Nationals will be held. Uh, Travis, thank you so much for, for coming on the program. Yeah, not a problem. Thanks for having me. Yep. So Chester County and curling, I mean, you've had <laughs> give us some background on how this uh, came about because this is the second time that this venue yeah. is is hosting uh, Arena Nationals. And apparently you guys enjoyed having curlers uh, in Chester County a few years ago if you want us to come back. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's really, you know, the big driver is that, yeah, everybody liked it. Uh, the venue... Uh, of course, the CVP and then, uh, you know, the folks over at Jersey Pinelands Club were extremely supportive of of the effort of bringing that into the area. And uh, so we're excited to have you guys back again. Uh, what was the bid process like? Uh, what what mm-hmm. kind of led to this event coming together? And what was what about this event is, is was attractive for you guys? Yeah. So for us um, as a destination and under the CVB, you have different sports commissions throughout the country. And, and basically what we'll look for is different RFPs and bids to go off of um, through different resources that we, that we look into. But really, this was something, obviously, we hosted before, so we knew it was out there. And when we saw that, that it was up for bid again, 
you know, basically the process is reaching back out to those that supported us last time, you know, Jersey Pinelands Club again and Iceline and just saying, hey, you know, we'd like to go after this. Are you willing to help us? And obviously that was a big yes. And then, you know, in terms of going after the business, uh, for us, it's we, we want to go after businesses that are or events that are national championship size. So that checked the box. Um, two, we knew we had a great success um, from hosting you guys previously. So that checked a good box. And then, you know, everybody that uh, is coming from around the country, you know, th- that's you know, really the demographic that we want to bring in and the folks that we want to bring in and is and expose them to Chester County and everything that, you know, we have to offer and, and show off our assets in our downtown districts. And so it's a good crowd, a uh, great community, and, and we support any event that has uh, all those things in it. So what, 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 if anything was learned from hosting previously in 2016 and what, what if any changes might people see if they, came to this event in 2016 and they're coming back again three years later. Are there any, any, I, I imagine it went well enough that you're going to keep it pretty close to how it was run previously, but is there any, are there any changes people might notice? Well, for one, I wasn't actually with the CBB back last time we hosted it, but from talking with my colleagues in, in Iceline, the biggest change that I'm excited for everybody to, to see and partake in is uh, the rink that was utilized or the, the one sheet of ice that was utilized last time. It has a, uh, a whole addition added to it since then, which includes a full service restaurant on the second level that allows folks to have, you know, big meal, hamburgers, hot dogs. I mean, full service restaurant while overlooking that same rink. So that'll be a really cool atmosphere that everybody will get to enjoy. Uh, We'll have our own little section for USA curling specific for everybody to, when you're taking a break, um, grab a, a, you know, beverage of choice and grab, grab a hamburger and uh, some nice appetizers and literally still be able to watch all the matches going on. So I think that's the biggest change that I'm really excited for, for everybody to, to witness. But I think just in general, you know, the addition, what we're doing too, is at the end of the finals match, um, we really wanted to make this more, get the community more involved. So we're going to do a learn to curl event and inviting the community out. And again, with the helps of the Jersey Pinelands club, um, you know, their president, Ryan Adamson has been amazing. And I really thank him for all his support. But we, yeah, we're going to invite the community out and have a, a section or a two hours time that um, that we're going to get the community out. And I think that's important, too, because with, you know, looking for the growth of the sport and recruiting and, and I think get everybody in the general community to understand, you know, we've probably all witnessed the Olympics uh, or curling through the Olympics and but to actually do it themselves is something that I don't think has really been offered in this area. So I think it's going to be a huge success. And I think, uh, and I hope all the clubs see that and want to um, partake and help people learn and, and experience the sport. I think you hit the nail on the head right there, because if any of USA curling's national championships are about growing this sport and taking advantage of the immense growth that we've seen here in the last year and a half, it's this event. So that's great to hear that you guys are, are adding that learn to curl element. It's also cool mm-hmm. to hear that 
I, I wish I was going to be there this year. When I was there in 2016, oh. I remember I remember that you didn't have the ability to kind of watch uh, from somewhere that overlooked the ice in order to watch games. If mm-hmm. you weren't playing, you had to be there in the rink, which, of course, it's going to be cold, but it's good to know that there's an <laughs> option to, to eat and watch curling at the same time. Uh, what yeah. about your... Uh, what about yourself? How familiar with were you with curling going into this event, and what have you learned as you guys have been uh, putting this event together? Yeah, so um, other than I guess the basics of like I like I said previously, you know, watching it in the Olympics, not too much. I don't even want to say you know playing it on the Wii, uh, being able to do the curling. If anybody's familiar with that, but that was a lot of fun mm-hmm. for me growing up. But um, no, nothing hands on. I'd never been to an event uh, or a match, uh, of any kind. And, uh, but I did, you know, again, through, through the Jersey Pinelands club, they invited, uh, me out to one of their learn to curl so I could experience it firsthand and, and, uh, fall on my butt a couple of times and get the hang of things. And, and it was a lot of fun. So, but, but ultimately, you know, what I have learned, um, and one of the things that I did and I wanted to make sure is I went out to last year's national championship in Salt Lake city and oh nice you know yeah it was a lot of fun and and it but it was really important because when i was with uh when i was out in salt lake city i talked to as many different club clubs that i could and just got a good sense of what they want out of it this is a huge community event for for the arena clubs and it almost struck me as like a reunion in in an in a really interesting way and so that's why i want to make sure that we had that environment for everybody uh when they come into westchester and um and go from there and just have fun yeah it's a it really is an arena curling support group for all of us who have to deal with arena ice um and then i finally i will let you put your cvb hat on uh when i was out uh, in westchester in 2016, I had the chance to go to that little downtown area that area that you guys have over on, uh, I guess it's Gay Street is the main kind of the main drag where all the restaurants and bars were on. Uh, and I really enjoyed that. And if in, anyone going to this tournament, by all means, get down to downtown Westchester, it was it was a great experience. I don't want to call it quaint because that's doing it a disservice. <laughs> it's a very nice downtown area. But yeah. so I'll let you tell people who are coming, you know, for for people who are visiting, uh, maybe for the first time, any tips, any tricks, any you know hidden gems that you would suggest for for curlers who are who are between between draws? Yeah, well, yeah, Westchester is by far one of our biggest assets. Um, it was the 2017 Great American Main Street Award winner, and we're really proud of that. And you'll get a great mix of restaurants and, and, and shops and, and main, just a classic main street feel that everybody will love. But one of the things too, that we're really proud of, and we're happy that they're an asset within our, um, in our County is Longwood gardens. It's the country's largest botanical garden. Uh, it's over, over a thousand acres of just amazing artistry really um in terms of the different types of plants and and uh and and also it was you know it was built by pierre dupont and he had a vision of making something that was honestly really spectacular and and he nailed it and they have you know a fountain display that i would 
say rivals the Bellagio out in Vegas. And I have seen those fountains, so I can, I think I can say, but um, it's just really something that it's, uh, it's honestly a marvel in our area. And I hope everybody gets a chance to go down into Kennett square where that, where Longwood gardens is located. Um, but in terms of, you know, if you're just looking for something just to, um, you know, you have some downtime. We have a great trail system. Uh, we have over 20 miles of trails. And, and around that, we have uh, over 20 breweries in Chester County alone. Um, you'll see them massed in the Phoenixville area. Uh, we're home to Victory Brewery, uh, which we're really proud to say. And they're based out of Downingtown. Um, they also have another location in Parksburg where you can do a self-guided uh, brewery tour, which is awesome. You'll see some really great facts and, and, and um, you'll get to learn kind of what they do on a day-to-day -day basis. So I hope that's what everybody gets a chance to. And one of the things we're going to be doing and sending out shortly is uh, an email blast through USA Curling. It's going to be called uh, a No Before You Go, and that'll have, you know, three great restaurants, um, which I really encourage everybody to to go down into Westchester. But also, if you're looking, you know, for something casual, Ice Line, uh, the at Ice Line, you have the Goal Line Pub. But uh, so the No Before You Go will have three restaurants three things to do, three places to go. And uh, you can download our digital version of our visitor's guide. So plenty of information and we'll have uh, an on-site presence as well if, if anybody has questions. So looking forward to welcoming everybody and, and uh, hopefully they have a, a fantastic experience coming out of this. All right, Travis, thank you so much. And uh, I'm sure you guys are going to be great hosts again. I guess uh, I'll just let you uh, do all your plugs real quick. Where can people find you guys uh, on you know, Twitter, Facebook, and, and elsewhere on the web. Yeah, I would really direct people, um, you know, to our main website, brandywinevalley.com. Um, you can also find us on Facebook, Instagram. Uh, that's pretty much where we live. So, yeah, stay tuned. Um, keep an eye out for those. Hashtag brandywinevalley in Chester County, for sure. So we appreciate Travis taking some time to talk to us uh, because of me, it was a difficult scheduling process. So we appreciate him being flexible uh, and being able to sit down with us. Um, I know Westchester is going to be a great host again. I really enjoyed the week I spent there in 2016. And as I said, uh, in the interview with Travis, I was able to go to downtown Westchester, which just was a really cool area to, to walk around and since this event is in early May, it's absolutely beautiful to spend some time outside and go to a bunch of bars and restaurants that have outdoor seating and sit outside, enjoy the beer and uh, get ready for, for the next game. Um, now I will uh, maybe make Travis a little angry and I'll tell you some things that are going on outside of Chester County that you may want to do um, while you're there, if you're listening to us while traveling to this event. Uh, some sporting events that are going on. If you're like me and you're a big sports fan, there's a bunch to do this week. The Phillies have home games May 4th and 5th against the Nationals, so that might be a tough ticket because you've got Bryce Harper's former team coming to town. Uh, the 76ers are in the playoffs. They host Game 4 against the Raptors uh, the afternoon of Sunday May, Sunday, May 5th. And if necessary, Game 6 will be in Philly uh, the night of Thursday, May 9th. Both the baseball stadium and the arena are in the same complex and it's about 45 minutes away from ice line uh give or take 15 on traffic uh the philadelphia union if you're a soccer fan they have a home game the night of saturday may 4th 
at their stadium in Chester, Pennsylvania. It's about 35 minutes away from the ice line. If you're like me and you're a big minor league baseball fan, that's something that I have done a few times when I've been to Arena Nationals is gone to the local minor league games. Uh, There aren't any in Chester County, but the Lancaster Barnstormers of the Independent Atlantic League have home games May 7th and 8th. It's a little over an hour from Ice Line. And a little under an hour from Ice Line is the Reading Fight and Fills of the AA Eastern League. They've got home games May 7th through 11th, and they've got some of the Phillies' top prospects on that team. So if you've got some time to kill, you might head up to Reading. Uh, I've spent a lot of time working in minor league baseball, and the people I know who know these things say that Reading has one of the best uh, atmospheres in minor league baseball. If you're a music fan, there are a bunch of concerts going on around uh, around Chester County and around the Philadelphia, greater Philadelphia area this week. And Jonathan, it's too bad I'm not heading to Westchester this week because amazingly, two of my favorite bands are playing near Westchester while this event is going on. And who are they? <laughs> uh, well, uh, and this is... This is kind of embarrassing. The Marshall Tucker Band is one of my favorite bands. They are playing with the Outlaws uh, just north of Philly the night of May 4th. Well, it's the Marshall Tucker Band, but it's really a band playing Marshall Tucker's songs. Uh, Toy Caldwell sadly died like 25 years ago, and there's only one original member of the Marshall Tucker Band still still touring with them. So it's it's really a band. Play. It, it, at this point, it's a, it's a Marshall Tucker cover band, but they're in Philly on May 4th. And what's the other band? It's actually one of my, it, it's one of my wife's favorite bands, if not her favorite band. And it's someone that we've seen a bunch live. Uh, they're called Yarn. So they play, we go to, except for this year, because our kid is going to be here probably by the time you listen to this podcast. We always go to this music festival in Aaron's hometown in Martinsville. And it's on this on this property where we actually got married and the big closer every year is this band yarn that we love. And they're kind of, they're kind of Americana kind of bluegrass kind of alt country. You know, if you like, if you like some outlaw country, like Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, yarn is a great listen. Uh, the other thing is they are absolutely amazing live and I've seen them do, I've seen them do full, um, Rolling Stone sets. I've seen them do full um, Waylon Jennings sets. They are they are great. They obviously have a lot of their own music that they play. They are amazing live. So two of my amazingly two of my favorite bands. They're in and that uh, Yarn is actually playing in Chester County. So you can help uh, you can help out Travis and put some put some more coin into Chester County's coffers by going to see them the night of May 9th there in Chester County. But if you just go and look online, there's a bunch of bunch of bands go uh, bunch of bands that are really good that are playing around the area. Um, if you don't have my similar taste in music, you've got uh, I know the Jizza and Steve Aoki, who's an EDM artist, are all performing in the Philadelphia area while this tournament's going on. You can just check it out. All right, so there's a lot to do on top of Carl. There, that sounds good. Uh, yeah. So should we turn our attention to the teams and the competition itself? 
I suppose we should, since uh, we're going to be going through every single one of them team by team, which is going to make this kind of a long podcast. And I feel bad for all the Canadians who might be listening to this because you're about to hear a lot about U.S. arena curling. I can definitely tell you this particular episode, maybe not up the alley of our Canadian listening audience. I think it's good. I, I would, I'd hope that people would listen and maybe learn a little bit about what's going on in other parts of the curling world. I think, I, I honestly do think there's a lot of interesting things going on in arena curling. It's obviously not elite level curling for the kind of spectator, but I think if you care about the game and the growth of the game, uh, paying attention to this kind of dimension of the game's uh, pretty exciting too, from my perspective. And there's a lot of good teams and good curlers in this event. You know, the the USCA does a good job of not just, you know, it, it's it's not like a situation where you have to play down and only the best of the best arena curling teams get to go to this. They kind of select it and try to keep it to where teams have, for the most part, an equal shot of getting to participate in this event. And they open it up to new clubs. Um and you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of good curlers uh, that play in Arena Nationals. You know, Stephanie Sineker, who just had a great uh, showing at U.S. Nationals, she got her start at an Arena Club and has played in this event. Uh, we did a uh, really great interview with Stephanie earlier this season. We talk a lot about Arena curling, so um, go back and listen to that episode if you want to learn more about arenas and uh, what it takes to kind of go from curling in this event to curling um, at regular nationals or being at that elite level. I think it's a great listen. Uh, So we will now get on to, let's get on to the teams, Jonathan. We will start with the women's side of this championship. And again, it's pool play and we're going to go team by team, pool by pool, starting with the women's side of things. So it's, it's three pools of five teams. Is that how the women's is set up? Three pools of five teams for the women's and four pools of five teams for the men's. They take 15 women's teams and 20 men's teams for this championship. And, and I how think, many make the playoffs? Is it quarterfinals, semis, finals? Or? Yeah, so the top eight on both – or I'm sorry, the top eight men's teams and the top six women's teams will make the playoffs. Okay. So pool winners – so top two in each pool basically. Basically, yeah. Okay. And I don't think... The rule, tie breaks? (laughs) That's probably too deep a dive for this podcast. Um, All right, so let's go. They're tiebreakers, and to be honest, I've never been in a situation playing in this tournament where I had the opportunity to care about what the tiebreakers are, unfortunately. (laughs) (laughs) One rule, if you're ever having organized an event like this, one rule that I absolutely guarantee is whatever obscure scenario you can't imagine will pop up. Yep. <laughs> so that's why you got another tiebreaker rules going in. Um, so right. let's go through pool A. All right. Pool A on the women's side, we will start with Diamond State Curling Club. They are, they play in New Ark, Delaware, um, home of the University of Delaware. Their first season curling was 2016, and they currently curl at Patriot Ice Center in Newark, Delaware. Uh, Talking to the people from this club, there are six permanent sheets of ice in Delaware, 
and they have curled on five of them. Uh, they had a couple of hit and miss experiences with arenas and they've found what they feel is a permanent home with Patriot Ice Center. Uh, because of their compacted ice time, uh, when their players go to bond spiels, people remark how quickly the Diamond State cur- curlers play, and they say that it's out of necessity. <laughs> um, this is their first arena's appearance, uh, which is great. It's great to have new clubs in this event, and it's the first time that Diamond State is here. Uh, their teams consist of everything from founding members to first-year players. Uh, so first, we'll talk about the women's team. The women's team has two mascots in their lead, Stacy Snyder's Chihuahuas, uh, Bella and Phil. And uh, one of them kind of looks like a miniature version of my dog, Lily, uh, which to borrow a line from George Carlin, uh, Lily is part Chihuahua and part Dodge Dart. Uh, so obviously, whatever kind <laughs> of Chihuahua, the longer haired version, and you can see a photo of them on their Facebook page. Uh that obviously that kind of Chihuahua is the one that, that Lily is related to. Uh, but Bella and Phil are the mascots for this team led by skip Jennifer Ying vice Alyssa Infante second Shelly Hendershot and lead Stacy Snyder. They also have a fifth player in Heather McNutt. Yeah. And so the next team in this bracket is the San Francisco Bay area curling club. And I, I was right. It was the, the, one of the oldest, if not the oldest, continuous arena clubs in the U.S. It was established in 1958, so it's been going for 60 years. Uh, but a five-sheet dedicated facility is currently under construction in Oakland and should open this summer. And that's after a few near misses. We could maybe talk about some other time. Uh, one involved them losing out of bid to a place that was subsequently busted as being a grow-up back when, I guess, growing cannabis was illegal in the state. <laughs> so <laughs> curling was priced out by cannabis. Make, make of that what you will. It's a similar building. In fact, that might be an idea for some of our Canadian clubs on what to do in the summer to make money when the curling ice is out. That is a good idea, Ryan McGee. Why won't Curling Canada <laughs> hire you <laughs> to be their business development director? Um, I have all these great ideas. It's only when I've had a few beers, but I have great ones, Jonathan. Yeah, that's, that's probably one of your best, I gotta say. <laughs> um, so... So this will be their last year in the competition, uh, and one of the two have a, one of the two players in the team have appeared in all seven women's tournaments. One of two, they're they're one of two clubs to have appeared in oh. all seven women's tournaments. Okay, they're one of two clubs to have appeared in all seven women's tournaments, and occasionally been added off the wait list. It sounds like uh, they finished fourth in 2018, one in 2016 and 2015, third in 2017 and 2014. So this year's rink, the skip, or those, the, sorry, the fourth is Melissa Aaron. Uh, the skip and third is Mae Eaton. So they're going with the Furby slash um, Alina Pats kind of format here with the skip uh, throwing third stones. Uh, and the second is Heather Pritchard and the lead is Judith Justice. Melissa Aaron has six years of experience and the other three are all new curlers, which is great to see who joined after the 2018 Olympics. So they've been curling just a little bit over a year, I'm imagining. And so it's a newly formed team for this event, and they're really eager to carry on the San Francisco Bay Area tradition of representing and performing well at Arena Nats. Yeah, so different look for San Francisco Bay Area, but they are used to making the playoffs and doing well, and we're sure this team will 
continue that tradition. Up next is Circle City Curling Club, and this team, this uh, this curling club is located in Indianapolis, whose nickname is the Circle City. They were established in 2007, and they currently curl at the Fuel Tank in Fishers, Indiana. That's a great they, name for a rink. So the 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 minor league hockey team in Indy in uh, Indianapolis is the Indiana Fuel. So it seems like all a lot of the a lot of the hockey rinks in in the Indianapolis area now go by Fuel Tank. Uh, I imagine one of these is the training center. It might and it might be this one in Fishers, but I imagine one of them is the training center for for where the team practices. But yeah, the that's how that's how they got the name, the Fuel Tank. This club is 130 members strong, including teams from Purdue University, Butler Indi- Butler University, Indianapolis University, and Carmel High School. Uh, or it might be Carmel High School. I forget how they pronounce it in Indiana. Uh, this year, they won the Hoosier Cup, which is their kind of one-off competition between their club and Fort Wayne Curling Club. And they said this is the first time that they've beaten Fort Wayne since Fort Wayne went dedicated. So good job to the arena curlers from Circle City. This is the fifth appearance uh, for the women's team, the last one coming in 2017. They are skipped by Tammy Hoffman, who is an accountant and vice president of the club. Vice Susan Fleck is an accomplished photographer who has played in four arena nationals. The second is Lauren Workenthien, who is a financial advisor who has hiked Mount Kilimanjaro and has been to two previous arena nats. And lead Lori Thomas is an arena's rookie who is a writer, professor, and an amateur beekeeper. All right. And now next in the group, we've got the Curling Club of Houston, one of our kind of friends from the MACA region, the Mid-America Curling Association. So they were, they're actually also a pretty old arena club. They were established in 1973. Uh, they're in Bell, is it Bell Rive? Bell Rive. Bell Rive. All right. So they're, they're at the Bell Rive Ice Center and they have 45 members currently. This is the first appearance for a women's team and they're skipped by Merlin Howick. The vice is Manfong Ma. The second is Alyssa Parks, and the lead is Sarah Johnson. All right, and then rounding out Pool A, Cincinnati Curling Club. It was established in 2012. They curl out of Sports Plus in Evandale, Ohio, and they have 96 members. It's the sixth appearance for the women's team. They went 2-2 two and two in 2018, and they finished second in 2017. They are skipped by Monique Penny, and we will talk about her husband once we get to the men's side. Their vice is Janet Clifford. Second, Bethany Hansen. Lead, Deborah Coviello. Fifth is Stephanie Simpson. Coviello, Clifford, and Simpson are in their sixth arenas, and Monique Penny is in her fifth. All right, so that rounds out Pool A. So we're going to move on to Pool B now in the women's event. And the first team there going in alphabetical order is Cedar Rapids. Cedar Rapids uh, was established in 2012. And Cedar Rapids is an ice arena which contains the rink that's home to the Cedar Rapids Rough Riders, who have NHL alumni, including Justin... So the Rough Riders are in the USHL, which is kind of the top junior hockey league in the USA and they've had a few players make it to the NHL including Justin Ab- Ab- Justin Abdelkader dang it you made me mess it up Jonathan 
Justin Abdelkader, Alec Martinez, and the Oklahoma connection is Matt Donovan. Uh, Matt is the only hockey player from the state of Oklahoma to make it to the NHL. And I remember Matty when he was knee-high sleeping um, under the benches on University of Oklahoma hockey bus trips to road games. I, I covered those OU teams that were coached by his dad. So it's, uh, Matt, it was the first Oklahoman to wind up making it to the NHL. If you ever or end up on Jeopardy, I hope you get the category minor league sports facilities, Ryan. <laughs> that's probably your like dream category right it really would. It really would. Yeah, the, the dude who's currently just running rough shot through jeopardy would have no shot if if the category minor league sports facilities came up while i was on jeopardy. <laughs> so this is cedar rapids women's team's fifth appearance they went one and three in 2018 their skip was Helen Bryce. She's Scottish. I wonder if she's related to Cammy Bryce. Not related to Angus and Cammy Bryce. And she's skipping in her second arenas. I guess the Bryce clan is both skilled at curling and kind of global in their reach. Uh, their third is Martha Maples. From North- she's from Northern Alberta, and this is her fourth arenas. Emily Nelson and Lynn Benkuski are native Iowans who got their start at Cedar Rapid Curling Club. That's kind of interesting. I think one of the things that happens at a lot of these curling clubs, uh, arena curling clubs, is you do get a lot of expats uh, who run to curl in kind of a curling hotbed, move to a region without curling for whatever reason, and kind of use their love of the game to help kind of grow a new club in a new location. So it seems like that's a bit of what's going on here in Cedar Rapids too. It's also good to see expats not thumbing their nose at the idea of curling on uh, hockey ice, because we see we've seen that in some places. I know the Coyotes Curling Club in Tempe. It was really a "if you build it, they will come" kind of situation for that club. Once they went dedicated, uh, that's when all the expats who uh, retired and moved to uh, the Phoenix area finally started curling with them. But there were, I think, from what I hear, there were a lot of people thumbing their nose the idea of curling on hockey ice before that dedicated club club got built. So it's good to see expats who are passionate enough about curling to go ahead and curl on the ice that uh, those of us who curl on arena hockey ice uh, have to curl on. Yeah, it's good yep. to see. Yep. Up next in Pool B is the defending champions in the women's event, and it is Cleveland Skating Club. Their ice rink is located just east of Cleveland near Case Western Reserve University. It's their second appearance, and they are one for one on gold medals. It's the same skip and third from last year's championship team. They are skipped by Catherine Mercer. Their third is Carol Negus. The second is Audrey Lynn. The lead is Phyllis Webb, and their alternate is Peggy Savani. Yeah. And next is uh, you, our friends from DFW. Do you want me to Dallas take this? Fort Worth. Why do you, why do you want to take this one? Uh, because <laughs> I, there's a lot of notes for it and I know what my notes are going to mean. Oh yeah. There are a lot of notes. <laughs> All right. That's right. I'll, All let, right. You, I'll let you take right. the next two. How about that? Uh, Dallas Fort Worth Curling Club was established in 2002. They have had several homes, but they currently curl at the Star Center in Valley Ranch. Uh, Sports fans, you may know that enclave of the DFW area as the former training home of the Dallas Cowboys. DFW has appeared in all seven women's events. Last year, they went two and two, and in 2017, they went one and three. 
Their skip is Allison Donaldson. Their second is Carrie Scarlotta. Their lead, Lisa Henry. Both of them played in 2018 and 2016 with skip Leanna Knott. Donaldson missed the 2017 event after the birth of her daughter, Claire, but uh, she is going to her sixth arenas. She started curling in 2010 at San Francisco Bay Area Curling Club after the Vancouver Games and was hooked after drawing to the button on the last shot that she threw at her first learn to curl. At San Francisco Bay Area, uh, she started curling a whole lot because at the time, they had three different venues, so she was curling at all three of them and just curling constantly. Uh, and she says she had great instructors while she was there, including the likes of Gabrielle Coleman and Lyle Sig. Uh, she's curled with DFW since 2013. This is her first year skipping, but her favorite position is lead, and she said she misses sweeping. Uh, her favorite curling moment was getting to curl with Christopher Sva. Thomas Lovold and Marcus Hoiberg at the 2011 Norway Day Festival back in San Francisco. Uh, this is Lisa Henry's sixth arenas. She started curling in 2010 at DFW uh, at a learn to curl and said she face planted on her first time out of the hack. Uh, she loves arena nationals because it lets her travel places she wouldn't otherwise go and meet new people. Uh, third, Angie Savella and fifth, Miranda McDonald are in their first arena nationals. Savella is originally from Grand Rapids, Minnesota and started curling in 2002 at Itasca Curling Club with her parents. Parents. She played juniors in Minnesota and said she always dreamed of playing in the Nationals, but never thought that it would be representing Texas. Uh, she said her favorite curling moment was being part of a co-rec curling championship team while she was at Notre Dame. Uh, McDonald started curling after the 2018 Olympics and wound up doing an instructional league and then went to a bond spiel and got hooked. And now she's going to Arena Nationals. Uh, McDonald played softball at Swasu, which is Southwestern Oklahoma State University in Weatherford, Oklahoma. And uh, bad news, Miranda, as an Oklahoman, I can tell you that um, you have spent enough time in Oklahoma that Oklahoma now claims you as an Oklahoman. That's kind of the deal. If you do anything significant in the state, the state claims you. So Oklahoman Miranda McDonald representing DFW at this year's Nationals. All right. Next, we have Las Vegas, who also hosts the kind of an epic bond spiel, uh, the Sin City bond spiel. If you ever get a chance uh, to curl in Vegas, I highly recommend you check that spiel out. Uh, so Las Vegas Curling Club was established in 2011 at the Las Vegas Ice Center. This is the first appearance for a women's team, and their skip is Emily Martinelli. Their third is Atsuko Reyes. Their second is Florida Fulham, and their lead is Cassidy Whetstone. So the next one, Silicon Valley, which is in San Jose, California. So note the last kind of three spots have all been Sunshine States, Nevada, uh, Texas, and now California. So Silicon Valley was established in 2017 at Solar for America Ice Centers. So even though they're a little over two years old, they already have a nearly 100 members. They curl in San Jose with the semi-regular semi second draw in Fremont, California. They have a Memorial Day bond spiel with a four-game guarantee that still has availability. So if you're looking for something to do in late May, uh, you want to look that up as a possible bond spiel to go to. It's their second appearance at the Arena Nationals. They made quarterfinals in 2018, and it's the same team returning, so they're looking to build on that performance. 
Their skip is Diane Palm. She's originally from Milwaukee. Their third is Amanda Chang. She's originally from Potomac, Maryland. Their second uh, and vice is Melissa Wheeler, who's originally from Ohio. And their lead is Mary uh, Rorden, who's originally from Pennsylvania. They're all five and under curlers, so that means they've all been curling for less than five seasons. They bond spiel together under the team name The Golden Girls, but you'd have to come out uh, to Westchester to figure out which one of them is Blanche, is what they said in their notes. So sounds like a fun team. They've kind of had a good performance their first year, so they're probably looking to build on that uh, this year. Yeah, and it seems like they've kind of established themselves. Uh, I, I imagine a lot of those people uh, also curled with San Francisco um, back when they had however many um, draws that, that San Francisco was having. So I imagine a lot of them uh, curled there before, but yeah, great to see them in a little, just two years, get up to a hundred members. All right, Jonathan, let's move on to pool C. First up in Pool C is the host club, Jersey Pinelands Curling Club in Mount Laurel, New Jersey, which is on the Philly side of New Jersey. I do not know which exit they are from. Uh, They are the closest arena club to Westchester. That's why they are the host. It's their second women's appearance. Uh, Their only other one was in Westchester in 2016. They are skipped by Bridget O'Grady. Their vice is Aaron Klim. Second, Tracy Landy, lead, uh, Jessica Galicchio, and their fifth is Amanda Fabian. O'Grady and Klim were on that 2016 team that played in Westchester. And then next we have another Texas team, the Lone Star Curling Club out of Austin, Texas. They currently curl at the Chaparral Ice Center in North Austin. It's the third appearance for the women's team. They went 0-4 in 2018 and 1-3 in 2017. And their skip is Pat Popovich. She was lead in 2017. Their third is Stephanie Michon. Uh, second is Lindsay Schmidt. And lead is Olivia Packenham, who was second in 2018. So it sounds like uh, two returning members and then two new members on this rink. Uh, our other new club for this Arena Nationals is up next. It is Sioux Falls Curling Club. They were established in 2014. They have 170 members, and they curl in a three-rink facility called the Iceplex there in Sioux Falls. They don't have a winter league, probably because of hockey. Uh, so they play September through October and then uh, March through May. Uh, the Zam Crew, interestingly enough, the Zam Crew at uh, – uh, this facility has a team in the curling league, so it's good to see um, the staff at the curling at the uh, at the rink getting involved in the curling club. Um, that is shrewd that recruitment. Is, that by is the club. so huge. That is so huge to have the Zam crew uh, care about uh, care about the curling club. Massive. Um, as we said, this is their first appearance at Arena Nationals. Uh, their lead slash skip, Juliana Dick Ford, started curling in Lethbridge, Alberta, and helped start the club when she and her husband moved to Sioux Falls. Uh, she t- actually tore her meniscus in her lunging leg and had surgery in February. Uh, that's why she has moved to throwing lead stone. She usually throws fourth. 
the fourth slash vice for this team is Brea Grernick. Uh, she's been curling for three years. She went to a learn to curl in Fargo while she was in college there and then joined the Sioux Falls Club after moving there. Uh, she said she's proud to be a part of a competitive women's team in the Midwest because they are difficult to find in the area and proud of the fact that their club has a higher percentage of women than the national average. Third, Lexi Moror started curling in Fargo and was there about seven years before moving to Sioux Falls for college. She picked the game back up with Sioux Falls Curling Club after graduating in 2016. She said she's looking forward to Arena Nationals to be part of a greater curling forum and meet other arena curlers. Second, Beth Lowry started curling two years ago at uh, Sioux Falls Curling Club. She got invited to try curling by a co-worker and thought it would be a great way to meet people since she was new in town. And that is very true. If you're new to a city and you want to meet some people real quick, join the curling club. That's basically what I did when I moved to Richmond. Um, knowing that uh, she was going to play in this tournament really motivated her to grow as a curler. Uh, and this team has some great t-shirts and they curl as mutant ninja curlers when they're spieling, it sounds like. It's a good team name too, I'd say. Next up, Windy City Curling Club, which curls out of the Seven Bridges Ice Arena in Wood Ridge, Illinois. It's a newer club. It was established in 2014. They went one and three in 2018. They have around 70 active members, and Saturday, Sunday nights their only is their league night. So last year, Windy City is the last year Windy City is eligible for Arena Nationals. They're moving to a dedicated facility, so that's great to hear. Construction's underway right now, and they're expecting to have the rink completed sometime in May. Uh, the skip is Heather Seminuk. Semin- the vice is Tanya Anderson. The second is Carol Collins. The lead is Carrie Myers. Seminuk and Collins are competing for their third year each. They both played in 2018 and 2017. This women's team has only played one game together in their current lineup ahead of nationals. That's actually often a common problem for arena national teams. So they have scheduling conflicts and various illnesses kind of prevented them from every other opportunity to play together. Collins is married to George Collins, who's on the men's team, and they're the only married couple attending from the Windy City Curling Club. Right. Finally, in Pool C, it's also our final women's team is Wine Country Curling Club, and they are in Roseville, California. They, it's near Sacramento, and they curl at Skate Town Ice Arena there in Roseville. They were established in 2007. It is the fourth appearance for the women, and they finished. Uh, they earned bronze last year playing with the same skip and third. The skip is Katie Feldman. She is the club president, and this is her fourth arena's appearance. Third is Laura Lunetta. Uh, it's her third appearance. Second, Susan Minshall, and lead, Sonia Montero. All right, so now we move on to the men's field. So this one has four pools, right? Four pools of five? Four pools of five. So 20 teams think in total. This might be the first time that there are no clubs having to put in two teams. If I'm, I think that's the case. So that was often the case if someone pulled out or they couldn't quite balance out a draw, they'd have a club put in a second team. Yeah. And I think one year San Francisco had like three. Yeah. So that shows that the demand's also going up. And also, this is a lot bigger event than uh, when we first launched it as well. So that's right. 
so kind of growth on multiple fronts. So. Also, a huge, huge thank you to everyone who got back to me. I reached out to all of the clubs for information. Almost all of them got back to me and gave us some great notes and great stories about their players. So huge, huge thank you to everyone who took the time to respond and send in notes about their team. All right. So in Pool A, we've got Circle City, Indianapolis. Uh, which is based on the Indianapolis, obviously, area. It's the sixth men's sixth appearance for their men's team. Uh, they went one and three in 2018 and two and two in 2017. Their skip is Wes Hoffman. He was third in 2018, and this is his third, fifth appearance. He's a software engineer, an accomplished bagpiper, and a man of mystery, according to their third, Ernie Forney. So it sounds like there's a kind of Scottish theme here between bagpiping and curling. Uh, Forney's in his second arenas after skipping in 2017 and is the club's president this season. Second, David Strom is in his second arenas and is a pharmacology professor at Marion University and an amateur chicken rancher. All right. So you bring eggs to the arena <laughs> I wonder if some of these stories might be inside jokes from the people who responded and sent in information on their teammates. Uh, I don't know what I hope for more. I don't know if I hope that Mr. Strom is actually an amateur chicken rancher or if I, ho- or if I hope more that Ernie was just pulling one over on us to make us call him an amateur chicken rancher. Either one is great. Both are acceptable. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the lead is Jim Puckering, is a retired Canadian expat who learned to curl in the 80s in St. John's, Newfoundland. So I wonder if he knows Brad Gushu. Um, yeah, so... You pretty much have to know Brad Gushu if you're from St. John's. Probably. Right. Uh, yeah. Up next is your defending champion on the men's side. It is DFW Curling Club. They have appeared in all seven men's tournaments. They finished first last year. They finished third in 2017. They won it in 2015, and they finished second in the inaugural event in 2013. However, uh, one of their normal players, Jeff Knott, is not in the tournament this year. Uh, Skip Nick Myers is in his sixth arenas. The only one that he missed, I believe, was 2014. Uh, He was on the DFW teams that finished third. Uh, He was on the DFW team that finished third at the 2018 Club Nationals. So they they won the MACA Playdowns. They went to Club Nationals, and I think they may have been the first arena team to win a medal. But yeah, they were an arena, arena curling team that went to regular Club Nationals playing against teams that curl on dedicated ice and they finished third. Great, great job by uh, DFW in that 2018 club nationals. He was also on the 2017 club championship team with St. Paul's Mike Farbelo. Uh, 2007. Thir- 2007. What did I say? 2017. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Long time ago, uh, Nick won clubs with uh, curling with St. Paul, which was that, were you, were you at St. Paul curling club back then? I had just left. I left uh, 2005. Okay. But yeah, he was still at St. Paul back then and won with Mike Farbelo. Uh, their third is Laith Sando, who is playing in his sixth consecutive arenas. Second, Kevin Roberts and lead John Lambert have been in at least three. They usually take uh, five players to this event, so it just depends on how the rotation works out, how many they've played in. But I think those guys have played in at least three arena national championships. Next up, Kansas City Curling Club, a curling club that's near and dear to our hearts because we made 
several trips to the Kansas City barbecue bond spiel, which is every oh, August. And I cannot recommend that bond spiel enough. It is the if you are from Canada or if you curl regularly on dedicated ice, it might be the worst ice that you will curl on because it's Kansas City in August, but it does not matter. You do not care about the ice quality because of how good of a party these guys put on for their bond spiel. Plus, there's a really good casino nearby, and Kansas City is kind of a cool town. So, highly recommend this bond spiel. And as you, as it says by Barbecue Bond Spiel, you get free barbecue and free beer with your entry fee. Yeah, it's you can if you can't eat and drink your entry fee back, you're doing something wrong at this bond spiel. Um, so. This, link, this club was established in 1987. They curled the Lion Creek Community Center just north of Kansas City. It's the fourth straight year with a men's team. They went 1-3 in 2018 and 1-3 in 2017. Their skip is Nate Purcell. Has been curling for five years. Lee Palmer is retired, and he started curling five years ago with his after his son and daughter started in law school. This is his second arenas, and he went to a senior men's uh, championship this year as well. Shin Ki Yin Liu is better known as Lu Yin. Uh, he was born and raised in Paraguay and got into curling two years ago because his wife's Canadian. So again, notice the Canadian influence here, even in Kansas City. And he compares his getting involved in an ice sport to cool runnings, which is I think the second time this analogy has been used this week. It was used with the Nigeria mixed doubles team as well on uh, kind of social media. So we've got like a lot of uh, the global South getting into the curling game now, which is great to see. Uh, and Derek Mahoney, their lead, has a blog that documents his backpacking adventures. And he also went to the senior men's earlier this year. Mahoney and Palmer played on the 2016 team that went 2-2 two and two in Westchester. So this is their second trip to that facility. All right. Up next is Long Island Curling Club. And they are on the list of teams that have handed me kind of difficult defeats at this tournament. So I'm shaking my fist at you, Long Island Curling Club. Uh, They were established in 2008 and their membership is now over 200. The club is launching its its efforts to go dedicated in earnest this year. Uh, It's their sixth men's appearance and they went 0-4 in 2018 and 1-3 in 2017 and of course in 2016 uh, defeated our team in an extra end when I was with Oklahoma Curling Club. Uh, it's the fifth arenas for their skip, uh, John Pachione. Uh Third is Rob Roberts. Second is Tom Lithgow. Lead is Zach Ryan. And their alternate is Tom Ryan, who is Zach's dad. Pachione said that what he loves about this event is the ability to bounce ideas off of a lo- other arena curlers and find out how to work with the rink and how to prepare the ice to get as good as good a curling ice as you can possibly get on a hockey arena. In addition to the competition, they love the opportunity to travel that this event provides them. Uh, They said last year they put over 1,200 miles on their rental car sightseeing in Utah, including a trip to Arches National Park. All right. And next up, the last team in Pool A is Silicon Valley. Uh, from San Jose, California. So technically, it's their first appearance because uh, last year, neither San Francisco Bay Area nor Silicon Valley was initially selected for the men's side. But Silicon Valley got a team in after the wait list opened up. So sometimes they take in teams on the wait list at the last second if a team drops out. 
the three going to this year's tournament is Silicon Valley. We're part of a team that USA called San Francisco Bay Area, area and uh, finished second last year. So there's Skip. Richard Lazarowicz uh, skipped San Francisco Bay Area last year, losing the DFW in the final. He's curled 10 years, and he's from the San Jose area. The vice is Andy Carl, is in his fifth year of curling and is originally from Kansas City. The second, Jay Diamond, is originally from Winnipeg and is curled on and off for 25 years. And the lead, Jeremy Malarich, is originally from New Jersey and is curled for four years. So Lazarowicz and Carl made their semis with San Francisco Bay Area in 2016 in Westchester, and his teams curled together and won the 2018 Rocky Mountain Invitational at the Denver Curling Club. So a strong team given their past history and potentially one of the favorites for this event. And that's another team that gave us a uh, thorough and unmitigated butt whooping uh, in 2016 in Westchester. Uh, Moving on to pool, Pool B, we have Cleveland Skating Club. This is the first time that they've sent a men's team to this event. Uh, Skip is John Nagus. Vice is Richard Hubbard. Second is John Wagner. Lead is Timothy Armstrong. And they're sending a alternate in John Savani. So lots of guys named John live in Cleveland, apparently. All right. Uh, Next up in pool B is Jersey Pinelands, which is based out of Mount Laurel, New Jersey. It's the second arenas for this uh, uh, team. The last was 2016, was also in Westchester. The skip is Ryan Adamson. He's curled for four years. Uh, Reagan Baird is curled for five years. Sean Frizzle is curled for two years. And the lead, Dimitri Anetsi and Vincent Baldino have curled one year each. Frizzle is a former pro wrestler who went by the name of Big Nasty. <laughs> and, he was, and he's six foot four. So that's a pretty intimidating front end player. That that may be how they beat how they plan on uh, winning some games is the intimidation factor there. Yeah, it's a smart smart strategy to put a pro wrestler up, up front. Definitely be able to beast it on the sweeping, right? I also think we need we need more curlers capable of cutting a promo too. So good good to have him uh, curling and at this event. Uh, up next is Lone Star Curling Club. Uh, this is their sixth appearance. In the men's tournament, they missed or did not appear in the 2014 event. Last year, they went one and three, and in 2017, they went one and three. And we've, uh, as Oklahoma Curling Club, we've had some battles with this team in previous Arena Nationals. Uh, their skip is Zachary Grantham. Their vice is Jason Chin. Their second is Darren Henley, and their lead is Dino Nair. Uh, Henley is in his third arenas, and Nair is in his second. And I'll take I'll take Windy Cindy, Windy City because they sent me a uh, a pretty cool story uh, about their team. Uh, as we said before, this team is in Woodridge, Illinois. It's their fourth men's appearance and their first since 2017. And in 2017, they went two and two and appeared in the quarterfinal. Their skip is Eric Rethel. Their vice is Mike Lerner. Their second is Tom Ara. And their lead is George Collins, all our Arena Nationals rookies. So fun story about this team. Uh, Eric Rethel beat Tom Era uh, for the league championship this season. Uh, but before the season started, during the skips draft, Tom had the second to last pick and Eric had the last pick. With the second to last pick, Tom passed over his own mother and selected someone else, meaning that his mom curled with Eric in the league, and then Eric went and beat him for the league championship. So that's that's a pretty cool story for that team. 
It's uh, it's a lot to unpack in that story, man. Yeah. Uh, basically, Tom deserved what he got. <laughs> Pretty much, always pick your mom. All right, next up, Warren County Curling Club in Roseville, California. Again, I will plug another great arena curling bonspiel. I've had the chance to go to it, but it's epic and famous. It's the Wine Country Bonspiel. I hope they're still running it, but it's normally every Labor Day. And as the curling club's name suggests, there is a lot of great wine served at this event. And wine is also often given away as prizes and there's trips to wineries as well. So if you're looking for Bonspiel to go to in California, you might want to check out the Wine County one if there's still space. For the men's team, this is their fourth men's appearance. They got bronze in 2018. Uh, this team's lineup has at skip Dave Murkowski, vice is Carmen Spangler, second is William Hellman, lead is Brian Feldman, and the fifth is David Betts. It's the same team from last year. Murkowski, Spangler, and Feldman are in their fourth arena nets. That brings us to Pool C, which I am calling the Pool of Death, which we will get into here in just a second. But they, it seems like they put all of the tough teams or a lot of the top teams in this pool, which means I think that only two of them are going to get out. Uh, first up is the curling club of Houston. It is their fourth men's appearance. All have been consecutive. Uh, they went two and two last year. They won this event in 2017 when it was held in South Bend, Indiana, and they finished third in 2016. Uh, when they won in 2017, they had some awesome eighties Astros starburst inspired uh, uniforms that they wore uh, at that event. Hopefully those uh, have, Hopefully those have made it to this year's event as well. Uh, their skip is uh, Christopher Dormus. Their vice is Billy Reynolds. And their second is Carl Shaper. They are all in their fourth arena Nats. Uh, lead Jonathan Lee, I believe, is in his first. Uh, there's a cool story about Shaper and his nutrition and conditioning a program in the Wall Street Journal that was recently published. And uh, Shaper, I believe, if I if memory serves me correct, uh, won a trip to the 2014 Olympics through a raffle that USA Curling held. All right. And so next up is Las Vegas Curling Club. It's the second appearance for their men's team. They went one and three in 2016. And the skip is Brian Martinelli. The vice is Michael Tulloch. They were on that the team that uh, played in 2016. The second, Michael Partridge, and the lead, Nolan Airstrom, are in their first arenas playing for Las Vegas. All right. Up next, uh, one of our veteran teams and one of the teams that is graduating, and that is Pittsburgh Curling Club. They were established in 2002. They currently play at Robert Morris University's Island Sports Center, which is just northwest of downtown Pittsburgh. Uh, this year, they grew from 90 to 140 members because uh, of the Olympic growth. And they have grown to the point that they have split their ice time into two six-end draws. Uh, construction of a dedicated uh, ice facility just west of Pittsburgh is scheduled to begin this spring with hopes of opening by the end of the year, according to their second according to their second, uh, Leonard Jarabek. So they're another team that's graduating. So congratulations, Pittsburgh Curling Club. This club has sent teams to all seven tournaments. 
They made the quarterfinals in 2018. They finished second in 2017. They won it in 2016. They finished second in 2015 and third in 2014. So this is a team that is used to playing in those big games at the end. Uh, Their skip is Mark Robinson. He has skipped in every Arena Nationals. Their vice, Steve Buffington, is in his fifth Second, Leonard Jerebeck was on those 2015 and 2017 teams. And lead, Dustin Devine, is in his first arenas. Uh, This is the first year that Pittsburgh is not going to be represented in the women's tournament. They were not initially selected, and unfortunately, they were unable to put together a team after the wait list opened up. Uh, Next, we have San Francisco Bay Area Curling Club. They're one of three clubs to have appeared in all seven arena nationals, so along with DFW and Pittsburgh. They finished second in the men's event in 2018. Their current skip is Pian Raju. They just the people just call him Raju, and he represented San Francisco Bay Area in 2017 in South Bend and made the semifinals. He's a five-year curler who founded India Curling and is currently pursuing endorsements by the Indian Olympic Association and is hoping for the endorsement by the WCF at the upcoming Congress in September. So that's a kind of – we just saw Nigeria debut or kind of earlier this week at the, the mixed doubles, and now it looks like India is kind of on the horizon. So kind of the game growing both in the U.S. and globally with this team. The third is Richard Richard Chin, who's a veteran curler originally from Ontario, and he also curled the Potomac Curling Club, and his name should be familiar to Ryan and Jonathan because we played him back then. We played him with uh, the Clausens, didn't we? Yeah, and they gave us a... That game ended very early, and then they bought us beers. They bought us beers, <laughs> and... Uh, I will be seeing the Clausens in Aberdeen uh, in October. Uh, you can get your revenge. Brian, Brian, we don't want to be giving any bulletin board material at this stage. No, nope, you're the one. You're the one who should have bulletin board material. You got to avenge that defeat, man. That's true. That's true. So we're already <laughs> all right. Well, a lot about me. Uh, back to the Scott Bay Area Curling Club. So this team. So uh, the second Rob Sinclair has been curling for five years, and the lead John Wendell is a new curler uh, from the Olympic crop who came in after 2018. So. SFBA is kind of always kind of put on a strong team on the ice. So as you said, this is potentially the group of death. Um, And so up next is another team that uh, we are very familiar with because they've beaten us. And that is Viking land curling club in Alexandria, Minnesota. So the rare arena club in Minnesota, Uh, you kind of, you expect there to be more, uh, dedicated clubs up there but this is the rare this is the rare arena club uh those of you who don't know where alexandria is it's about halfway between uh the minneapolis st paul area and fargo uh this club was established in 2005 and they currently curl at the runestone community center on wednesday nights and thursday mornings. so a re- the rare weekday morning draw for an arena club it's their sixth men's appearance uh, they went three and one in the round robin and made the quarterfinal in 2018. And they went four and zero oh in the round robin and made the quarterfinal in 2017. So this is a team that that puts up wins, but for some reason has not uh, been able to put it together to get a medals. But they're still a big time contender in this event. Skip Troy Ditburner is in his fifth arena nationals, uh, including the last two. Third, Daniel Rooney, and second, Aaron Rooney, also appeared in the last two Arena Nats, and their lead is Austin Bingson. 
All right, now we're moving on to Pool D. So in Pool D, uh, Cincinnati Curling Club, it's their sixth appearance for their men's team, and they've appeared kind of in the last six in a row. They finished fourth in 2018, second in 2016, and third in 2015. Skipped Jonathan Penny's in his fifth consecutive arenas as a skip. He moved to Cincinnati from Toronto and helped get the club started. He was an accomplished ice maker at Brockville, uh, country club, learning under the legendary Shorty Jenkins, and has been on the ice crew at the Briar. Vice Chuck Mukum is in his fourth arenas. Second Daryl Brown is in his sixth arenas, and Lude Philip Stafford is in his first. All right up next, uh, Diamond State Curling Club, uh, who, as we mentioned, they are in New Ark, Delaware. It's their first appearance uh, on the men's side. Their skip is Brian Huff, and he was one of the founding members. He, Shelley Hendershot, and Heather McNutt first tried curling four years ago, uh, and then along with friends, uh, set out to start a club in Delaware, which they were successful, and now they are heading to Arena Nationals. Uh, his vice is Arthur Eller. Second is Steve Sabatino. Lead is Eliezer Infante. And their alternate is Paul Sainden. And that brings us to Ocean State Curling Club, who we have an interview with them. Uh, just to give you an idea on them before we get into our interview with their skip, Dave Rossler. This is their 10th year as a club. Uh, they currently curl in a bubble arena in Cranston Veterans Park, which they will talk to us about here in a second. And they will also talk about the adventurous season that they had because they curl in a bubble. Uh, they are up to 118 members. It's their second appearance in this tournament, and they went 1-3 in three in 2016 in Westchester. Uh, Dave Rossler, who we're about to talk to, has curled for six years. Their advice is Dave Kolibaba. He has curled nine. Second, Mark Neely has curled two. And lead, Dave Holbert, is in his first year as a curler. So let's get to me talking with Dave Rossler from Ocean State Curling Club. All right, we are talking to Dave Rosler from Ocean State Curling Club, and you guys are heading to your second Arena Nationals. Uh, and you've had a bit of an interesting season that we'll get on, into here in just a second. But first, Dave, if you can just give us an idea of how you got into curling and give us some background uh, on Ocean State Curling Club. Yeah, absolutely. Totally. Um, my personal story um there's a very long version of it and a very short version of it i'll try to give the short so that we don't get too lengthy but um i used to live in seattle um and uh back in god it must have been 2004 watching the uh the curling on the olympics um i was sitting with my wife and uh it's such a silly thing to say but i I had realized I had this knack for like flinging doors closed with just the right amount of weight to get them to latch. And uh, I decided that curling was like the only sport that you could apply something like that to. <laughs> um, and uh, and I also uh, happened to be uh, Jewish. And I was talking to one of my friends, this guy Scott at the time, and he was like, you should totally form the Israeli curling club and get Israeli citizenship and do it. And so it was this thing that kind of became an idea that maybe I would try and do at some point. And then uh, a year and a half later, um, or a year later, I guess, um, we had our first kid and life catches up with you. And even though I lived a couple of miles from the Granite Curling Club in Seattle, I never actually started curling out there. And, uh, and then in 2009, uh, my family moved to Rhode Island. And about 
five months after moving here, maybe three months, uh, I went to a learn to curl with the Ocean State Curling Club and had a blast, really enjoyed it, um, but didn't join a league right away. And then about a year later, joined a league. And, uh, and you know, so that's how I got into curling. The continuation of the story is my mom sends me this article like three weeks after I joined the league that Israel had formed the Israeli Curling Club and was traveling around the U.S., trying people out who are Jewish for the, um, for, uh, to be on their team. And I had missed the tryout that they had locally at Broomstones. Oh no. They asked me to submit a video. So I was down in Jersey with my family, Jersey, um, um, the Plainfield curling club was nice enough to let me come in and use their facility. I sent a video in, um, and, you know, they were very nice about it. They said, we've got like three levels of interest. We've got the people who are like young, really good curlers in the U.S. and uh, can add a lot to the team. The older people who have a lot of experience and are really good. And then folks like you. And, oh, uh, no. and you're kind of that level. But we'll be in touch. And they were nice enough that they sent me an Israeli curling club pin. But, um, you know, but so uh, but then I got really involved with the club and I've now been in the club for six years and am currently uh, the president of the club. So. Oh, so you guys curl in a bubble. Uh, can you explain yeah, right. that? I mean, I've seen indoor soccer that that plays in a bubble. I don't think. Do you think you guys are the only curling club uh, with with a with a bubble facility? And then tell us what happened with the bubble this right. year. So that's a good question, and I, I certainly were the only one we know of. So uh, Ocean State Curling Club was founded back in uh, two thousand nine. We actually celebrated our tenth anniversary a month ago, um, and we originally curled. Um, at a, at a school out in Middletown, Rhode Island, uh, St. George's School, and uh, then curled a year or even half a year at University of Rhode Island, and then um, got kind of contacted by the bubble rink at Cranston Veterans Memorial Rink in Cranston, Rhode Island, and they kind of wooed us away with inexpensive costs and the promise of great ice. Um, <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> arena ice is arena ice, so you don't have very high standards. And so um, I wasn't there the first year they moved. I went, uh, I wasn't there the first uh, league they moved, but I was there the first year. Um, and curling in a bubble has its unique aspects, right? So uh, like you said, a lot of winter sport or a lot of non-winter sports happen inside a bubble during the winter so that you can do them. This happens to be a hockey rink and it's... Um, uh, they mostly have kids hockey in there, sometimes have adult hockey, but there are no locker rooms, no bathroom. Um, we have benches and we have a spot to store our stuff. And we have a really good relationship with the city and with the rink, but they've been um, having a, you know, plastic bubble, rubberized bubble over your head all the times. So you never know what's going to happen. And about four years ago, a bad winter storm came in and totally ripped the bubble off it's a foundation or where it's connections and they had to replace it and they were great three months. They got it replaced and we were back and operational. Um, and then this year uh, we had an earlier than expected storm, I would say with heavier than expected snow. And my understanding is there are things you can do like heating up the bubble a little bit to make sure that the mm -hmm. snow doesn't accumulate on it and stuff like that. While it's not great for the ice, it at least keeps it from caving in. Um, and that, who knows if it happened the right way or not. We haven't asked too many details, but something happened and the bubble ruptured in one spot and half the bubble came down. The lights that were up poked through it. 
Um, and then all of a sudden we did start getting hit by bad weather and it was really hard for them to repair. Um, and by the time they did get it repaired and back up, they discovered that all the freeze thaw cycles had pushed the refrigeration pipes out of the ground. And so they had to wait for a full thaw. So it's still not fully repaired even at this point. So is it similar to that famous video from the old Metrodome in Minneapolis where the snow just came through? Totally. Yeah. It just, it didn't come through per se, but um, what it did was it burst out at the seams at the bottom and then just half of it came down. And, uh, you know, it, uh, it really put us in a lurch and the hard thing for them was they didn't know how long it was going to take to get repaired. And after us waiting about two months, we just tried to find another place that could accommodate us. And we've been lucky. We now have a good relationship with the Smithfield Municipal Ice Rink in Smithfield, Rhode Island. And, um, and they've been letting us store our stuff and run some leagues for the past month and a half. Uh, you know, in, in a normal year, um, maybe we would have just let it go to the wayside. But our membership had really started skyrocketing coming off the Olympics. And we're also the hosting club for the GNCC Arena Club Championships this June. So we really needed to keep... Uh, getting our folks on the ice and getting other folks on the ice. And so we've been lucky that we now have a second place that we can uh, curl. Yeah, and I know uh, my club, Curling Club of Virginia, is sending a team up there. And we also have uh, David Kolababa from the club joining us at we- as well. Uh, David, uh, Dave kind of told us about how the bubble ruptured. Can you give us some more insight? I mean, that put you guys uh, – kind of with with no home what was um i mean how did how did people deal with that and how did you guys uh keep curling even with uh with no with no bubble rink available for you guys there in rhode island no no home yeah we should uh we have pictures our houses actually when the bubble came down the bubble actually absorbed the houses so when they put it back up our houses were on top of the bubble um so it's it's been a struggle i mean we were i mean we're blossoming i mean we were i mean i'm sure dave went over it at our all-time high of members uh you know coming off the olympics everything like that and we we stuck together as a club which i think was huge for us and i think even going forward um we had a lot of members step up a lot of new members step up um to kind of find a new home and find out where we're gonna go and we're back on the ice um didn't we didn't miss a beat so we're looking forward to the future. Uh, Dave Rosler, you, your club has, in I mean, an interesting way of deciding who gets to go to Arena Nationals. I know clubs that I've been to, <laughs> we've we've played down, and you know, I always wonder how some clubs who don't have the ability to kind of work in play downs into their regular league schedule, pick their teams. Could you tell everybody how uh, Ocean State picked its team for this event? Sure. And it's, it's evolved over time. Uh, and the, the way we do it now is how we've been doing it since 2016. Uh, and it's, I guess, as democratic a process as we can come up with, because we have varying interest each year. Some years we'll have four people who want to go. Uh, some years we'll have 14 and we try to use the same process for any championship type so we use it for arena nationals and we also use it for the gncc arena club championship so um folks put their name in if it's a male and female individual teams men go into one pool women go into another uh if it's an open everybody goes into the same pool 
um, and you indicate if you want to skip or not. So the first thing we do, so let's just do it specifically for Arena Nationals, is we put all the skips names in a hat, draw one name. Congratulations, <laughs> that person's a skip. <laughs> and uh, then we put everybody's names back in the hat, and you draw uh, three names and one backup, and uh, and there's our team. Um, it's, it's very uh, democratic. <laughs> it's really democratic. I will say, you know, um, it, it's a little easier to describe how we got that way when we talk about the GNCCs, where we can send sometimes as many as three teams. Mm -hmm. And that way, we draw the three skips, and then we draw the number of non-skip names, so in that case, nine, and then the three skips do a draft from those nine names. Um, we do say if a team ever wins one of those, they automatically get our bid as the first team the following year. Um, but in this particular uh, case, so this year, we had five people put their names in, um, which unfortunately would have left one person sitting at home or as our backup. And we're, you know, spirit of curling as it is, everybody said, if we're the fifth, we'll go down, we'll be there and we'll help with the ice and we'll do what we can. Um, as it worked out this year, one person whose name was pulled wound up being ineligible. And, uh, and so the remaining four got the spots. So let's, so let's talk about that. You've, you, you told me about kind of what happened, but it really had to do with you guys not having ice at the beginning of the season. Can you kind of explain the situation that led to one of your players being ineligible for arena nationals? Yeah, totally. So, um, so when we did our lottery, um, a curler that we have, second year curler, um, who I will say I've rarely seen somebody uh, fall in love with the sport as quickly as this guy did. But uh, Bobby Davis got selected as skip, and then we picked three names after him, and then we had our backup. Um, now, about a week before we did that draw uh, for names, um, Bobby had started curling in a doubles league at um, Cape Cod Curling Club. And, uh, you know, our folks had been no ice to curl on, no league to curl in, desperate to get out there and enjoy the sport they love. And, um, and you know, Bobby is one of these guys, like he had signed up for every league we had. We had a spring, a summer last year. We had uh, two fall leagues, two winter leagues, and three mini leagues throughout the year. And he was going to do them all. That's how much he loves it. And, uh, and when it came down for somebody like that, he just wanted to get out on the ice. Um, I'll throw myself under the bus here too. You know, Bobby reached out <laughs> to me at one point and said, "You know, can I, uh, can I, um, can I curl in a dedicated ice doubles league and still go to Arena Nationals?" Um, and just the world of texting or whatnot, I read it as him asking about GNCCs and responded to him. Oh, that, no. Yeah, you can totally be on a GNCC arena, a GNCC arena club team and curl on dedicated ice, two people per team. So it was a little miscommunication between us. But as soon as we realized the mistake, uh, after he had curled one night at Cape Cod, we got in touch with USCA. And let them know and you know he was willing to quit and things like that but the instant his name was on the roster and he was in a league they considered letter of the law um he couldn't be on the team but they did recommend that we should put in a request for ruling on it so we submitted this request for ruling with the team as we drew it um and you know the um the committee that reviews those requests had a hard time deciding passed it up 
onto um, what I think they called the Arena Club Committee, um, and they it wound up getting rejected. And you know, we accepted it for what it was. Um, you know, we would have loved the accommodation to have him go, especially our argument was, or one of the points we made was, somebody could go to two bond spiels on dedicated ice and curl more games than he would have curled in a seven-week doubles league. Um, and so it seems like a strange rule. That and somebody could have curled 30 years of their life on dedicated and then curled one year only on arena and gone as a representative. So um, I get it. It's a reaction. And, you know, you, you talked to me about the fact that, you know, in 2013, the first year, there may have been a high representation of folks who were dedicated heavily and some arena time. So I get it that they want to try and keep it just for folks in arenas. But we did feel our circumstances, especially with the bubble imploding and the young curler and um, uh, would have uh, would have helped out. But, um, yeah, the ruling was what it was. Yeah, it's one of those where, in my opinion, he's obviously he's violated the letter of the law, but we talk about the spirit of curling. I don't think he violated the spirit of the law, but I can see the USCA, if you, if you approve this instance, you may have future instances that you have to deal with that also kind of fall in that in that gray area and you kind of you might open yourself up so i can understand why it was denied but i don't think for one second that that your player was intentionally violating the the spirit of curling by curling in a mixed doubles league right and you know and to your point earlier we have a unique way we pick our teams and we've talked about it now uh, our board and our whole uh, group have talked about like how we can avoid this coming up again and just even so let, letting people know if you're interested in representing early on, here are the things you need to not do and do. And we would love to have enough ice time to support a play down. Um, we just don't. And even if we had thought we did this year, we certainly wouldn't have once the bubble went down. So Dave and David, I, I feel like Dr. Seuss with too many Daves. Uh, just give me what you Wait, guys are. We have another one. <laughs> you have another one? <laughs> Our team is three Daves and one Mark. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Oh, yeah. I just realized that you have Dave uh, Holbert as well on your on your team. There's another uh, There's another team going that has three Johns. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, we have two, yeah, too many Daves on uh, Ocean State. So just give me what you guys are most looking forward to uh, for this event um, coming up here in Westchester. You want to go first, Dave? Well, so it's hard because if you're asking me, like, honestly, one of the things I'm looking forward to most is even seeing uh, somebody like Dave Colibabo there. Like, Dave has been with the club since the very foundation of the club, um, joined in the first year, and uh, is one of those longstanding members who I think everybody in the curling community we curl against knows who he is. So I'm excited to be there with him. And, uh, you know, the last time I actually curled with him was when CCVA hosted the GNCCs four years ago, I think it was, uh, maybe five. But So I'm looking forward to curling with him again. And uh, and Dave Holbert is a first-year curler. His first time ever curling was last summer. I think he's curled in nine matches in his life at this point. And uh, so excited to bring somebody uh, newer to an event like that. And Mark Neely also is in his second year. Um, I'm just excited to get us out there with all these other curlers. You know, I'm super excited that in our, um, our pool – it's clubs that we've never curled against before, you know, so it's expanding our, um, 
the number of people that we curl against. And I just love talking to other curlers about how things work at their clubs, what they're doing, how they're approaching things like learn to curl. So even aside from the competitive aspect of it, just spending time with other curlers and talking to them uh, is something I'm looking forward to. Yeah, it's a re- it's a family reunion for arena clubs. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, number one, I mean, I'm looking forward to the ice. Uh, just to get on solid curling ice. I mean, this is kind of like the Olympics for for us. Um, so, that, I mean, that's going to be amazing. But even just talking to other clubs about how they're going about fundraising, how they're going about getting to dedicated facility. Uh, I mean, it's going to be amazing, you know, interacting with all these people again. Yeah, and the ice one's a good one, just to jump off Dave's point. Like, uh, I feel like I'm advertising, but I'm not doing it. It's just it's absorbing so much of our lives right now that the fact that we're hosting the GNCCs in, uh, in you know, five weeks here, you know, we're lucky that even before the bubble burst, we knew that the bubble wasn't the right place to host a competitive bond spiel. <laughs> but uh, Providence College has Schneider Arena, which is the home of, you know, uh, the Providence uh, Friars and... Um, and, you know, they were NCAA champs three years ago. They went to the Frozen Four this year. That's right. It's incredible ice, an incredible facility, and they committed to letting us host the GNCCs there. So the some of the folks who are working on the ice for Arena Nationals are also helping us with the ice for the GNCCs. So, you know, we get this preview of like a month of how to really uh, take care of good ice and get great ice for a competition like this. All right, and then one last question, and I'll let you guys go. Give me what you think the future holds for for Ocean State, and really how uh, how getting to play in arenas uh, might impact that. And then give me what you want uh, what you want Arena Nationals to look like, maybe five or ten years from now. I, I, I'll go to my skip. My skip can lead off here. <laughs> so. Um, uh, well, I'll start at the end. Arena Nationals in five years. So not having been there, I can't say uh, much about where it's at, but I, I'd love to see um, more clubs, right? Uh, but <laughs> selfishly, I'd love to see it a little shorter somehow. I uh, It's so spaced out. Um, it's great that it is because it gives people recovery time, and I get that they have to get a lot of clubs in and playing. Um, but I think it makes it hard for some curlers to participate just because it's an entire week. Um, and so it, it might be nice to see a way that they could a squeeze more clubs in, but b kind of, uh, you know, shrink the schedule on whether that's regional play downs that lead into it. Um, that might be nice. Um, and, uh, and for us where, where, where I hope we are, uh, so, uh, I'd hope we're all standing together at the end of the day on Saturday. Uh, I'll say that, but, um, uh, uh, from a club for Ocean State, I hope in the next you know few years we're on our way to uh, dedicated ice or a really supportive um, non-dedicated arena facility that is proud to call us their home or their home hours. Yeah, and then just for uh, <laughs> just just so that we're we know how many how many uh, ice rinks are in Rhode Island. Oh, that's a good question. So um, I think we're we're in the teens, um, and uh, but they're packed, right? Hockey, you know how it is. Hockey takes up so much time. Um, yes. We're we're lucky that we found time at a new arena this year, and that we have a couple of arenas that are really accommodating to us. I mean, we don't have to deal with what Pittsburgh had to for years, which was a super late draw on the weekend. 
Um, and I'm not sure we can maintain that in Rhode Island, but we are lucky that we get a few different draws each week and are able to get more people on the ice. What do you think, Dave? What are you looking forward to? I, I mean, Nationals, to me, I, I lost out the same way Bobby did um, a few years ago when I did uh, half a league up at Cape Cod just to get on it. So to, to go this time and to hear where Ocean State went, you know, a couple of years ago and, you know, meet all these other teams and not, I don't want to say we're on the same level, but, you know, we're all working with the same problems with arena ice, um, getting ice time, just, just to get to nationals and, and compete is going to be amazing. Um, especially for us. I mean, like you said before, I mean, we never typically play together. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's, it's going to be an awesome time. Our club, I think we have that kind of dedication to the spirit of curling. You know, like you said before, I mean, that's what it's all about is the spirit of curling. And non-curlers don't always understand it yet. Um, but that that spirit of curling and where we're going to go with the club, I think, is is going to be there. I think, I think honestly, this Nationals experience is going to be huge for our club to see where we can be and where we can go. Um, Cause a lot of times I think we, you know, we kind of sit back and we're like, okay, you know, we have a curling club where we can play every week here and there. Um, but I think this can actually help us propel forward between nationals and then hosting the GNCCs. I, I mean, sky's the limit for ocean state. I mean, we, we've got some great curlers down here, so I'm excited. All right. That is a, uh, that's a great point to end on. And uh, I really appreciate you guys coming on the show and Dave and Dave, good luck this week in Westchester. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. So very interesting story there for ocean state and how one of their players that they initially selected for this tournament was ruled ineligible because he, uh, because he, played in a dedicated club while their ice was unavailable this year. So, you know, he broke the letter of the law, but I think, you know, we talk about the spirit of curling. I don't think he broke the spirit of the law. I think that they just, uh, you know, they don't want to open up that Pandora's box of having someone who curled on dedicated ice this year, play in the arena nationals, you know, the spirit of curling, they should allow him to play, but I can also see a lot of people um, raising some cane with the USCA if they had allowed him to play in this event. Okay, so the next team is the Sioux Falls Curling Club. It's their first appearance. Uh, one of the team members is an avid listener, but they didn't say who it was, so hello, avid listener. Uh, Skip is Kevin, uh, Cameron Wittenauer, who's only curled for four years, but has already been uh, to regular uh, <laughs> regular, regular club national. <laughs> Uh, is, it, is it club nationals or regular nationals? Nationals, nationals. Nationals, nationals. Oh, for Team Brundridge. Uh, Austin Weber has curled just over five years and used nationals as an excuse to get out and curl more this year. Uh, he's skipping a team at, to second at the Dakota Territory five and under. Uh, Jordan Wilson has played five years and makes four to five spiels per year and has also been out playing more to prepare for the arena event. And Chris Leifer has also curled for five years and, on, and is on Weber's team at the five and under event. So this is good to see Sioux Falls kind of make a comeback through the arena system. Mm-hmm. And uh, finally, the the last team on our list here in Pool D, 
uh, on the men's side is St. Louis Curling St. Louis Curling Club. Uh, they play at Crevecore Ice Arena there in St. Louis. It's their third appearance in the men's tournament, all of them in a row. They went two and two uh, last year in 2018, and they actually sent two teams to South Bend in 2017. Uh, and their two teams, unfortunately, did not record a win. But it was good to see them bounce back and go two and two in 2018, and almost make a playoff appearance last year. So they're looking to build on that. Uh, their skip is Justin uh, Filipiak. Their vice is Joseph Van Arnstallen. Their second is Michael Allison, and their lead is Colin St. Alban. And Van Arnstallen and Allison played in each of the last two events. So, Jonathan, we've now been yes. through every team in this field. So, looking forward to this event. There's a lot of, I mean, I think I think the quality of the teams at this event has grown throughout the years. And it's good to see some teams that have been there regularly and been successful. And it's good to see some teams that um, are starting to get better and better as they go to this event each year. Yeah. And it's good to see kind of two things, the growth of the event with kind of more new arena clubs coming in, but also it's good to see, clubs graduate out by going to dedicated curling ice too. So it's kind of a nice transition event, not just for the players kind of participating in the event, but also for the clubs. It's a way for those clubs to kind of move from being, you know, a rental club that's renting ice from an ice hockey arena to one that has its own facility. And then once you have your own facility, the things you can do are, are limitless. Yeah. And it'll be fun to see what happens next year when this event goes to Gillette, Wyoming, because uh, you, you have two teams that have been there every year who are graduating in Pittsburgh and San Francisco. And those are teams that they go to this event every year. They win a lot of games and now they're not going to be eligible. And you're going to have along well, along with Windy City Curling Club, you've got these three spots that are going to open for for other clubs. So it's going to become uh, an even stronger event as more clubs are able to go to this event and uh and and compete for a championship yep so really looking forward to it um maybe you'll be back at it next season um a- I, I i i doubt it so if you're if you're listening to this while driving to the event on uh friday or saturday like let's say uh, let's say you're on the road to Westchester and to kill part of the drive. You're listening to this, uh, listening to this podcast on Friday or Saturday. Uh, I have become a dad. Uh, I'm not right now, but by the time you listen to this, I will be. Uh, so I have a feeling that between next year's event being in Wyoming and having a infant slash toddler that's one year old, I seriously doubt that I'm going to be going to to Gillette, Wyoming, which is unfortunate because I would like to go see Devil's Tower. Um, but that's something you can do next year in Gillette. I probably will not be there. So my hope is the 20, I guess, uh, I guess 2021 arenas, which hopefully will be, I imagine will be kind of out here on the East Coast. It seems the USCA is doing a good job of kind of alternating between uh, east and west with this event. Yeah, and it's good, good to see the event move around the country, and it's uh, kind of gives a chance for kind of arena clubs in different regions to access that event too. Mm-hmm. Are we doing picks? I don't think we should. It's really so. There's no bad beer bet. There's, there's no haggis bet. 
There's no, there's no haggis bet on Arena Nationals. That is the most. <laughs> it's we're we're kind of insane for doing a curling podcast. We're a little more insane for doing a hour and however long this episode has been episode dedicated to arena nationals, no matter how much we love this event. Um, it would be next level insane for us to actually put a wager on the result of the arena nationals. All right. We won't do that this year. I mean, there's, there, there are teams that are, uh, that are traditionally very good and you have a lot of teams in the field that have won championships at this event. So it's going to be interesting to see if one of these up and coming clubs like Silicon Valley or uh, Sioux Falls uh, can kind of rise up and knock off these teams that go every year and tend to go very far in the tournament every year. Um, So that's kind of what I'm watching in this event. I'm also watching that pool, uh, that pool C on the men's side where they stuck three teams that I think, or uh, three clubs that have won medals at this event. And then, uh, and then Viking land who always does very well in the round Robin. So that's going to be, those are going to be some crazy games. That'd be good to see. I think the other thing we haven't really mentioned is that USA curling makes it to the exact same standard as all their other championships. So they bring in national officials, they bring in timekeepers, they bring in ice techs to kind of prepare it up the championship level ice which I think for arena curlers is just an amazing experience to play on kind of top level ice when mm-hmm. your kind of weekly experience is not that. So it's kind of cool for people to kind of get to see what it's like to play on the ice the pros play on and uh, kind of get that championship experience and championship feel. It's also funny because we spend so much time not being able to play both handles on a sheet and then all of a sudden both sides of the sheet play the same and it kind of messes with you as an arena curler you can actually throw peels it's i mean yeah it's a big jump right because a lot of arena ice is really really slow i think the one thing i perfected in my six years of arena curling was the jump hard of a hack and then shove it at the t-line for kind of bomber weight uh that i still occasionally use for you know for evil purposes at uh, fenton's rink uh, when I'm goofing around, but it, you know, it's a really, really slow ice. And then if you go on to kind of championship level ice where it's 14 or 15 seconds, uh, hog to hog, when used to playing perhaps nine second hog to hog draw weight, um, that can be quite a shock to the system, especially for people who've never played on fast ice like that before. Uh, the first time I ever played on dedicated, dedicated ice, not, not counting arena nationals was when we went to Potomac, uh, when you flew in from England, we played in Potomac and I was playing lead. So it was the, I threw the first rock, uh, of the end, uh, you called a guard. And so I threw it and obviously it went through the house. I said, I said something <laughs> along the lines of, I thought I threw that a lot lighter. And you said that was peel. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Huge credit to the USCA for one, having this event, and two, taking it seriously and sending quality ice makers to this event. Because, you know, they could – it's one of the last, if not the last, championship that they run. They're, you have people who are very tired of spending a full week um, at a curling championship. But for them to take 
the the officiating and the ice making as seriously as they do is a is a huge credit to the USCA and the the way they treat this event and the the people who curl at arenas. So that it's it's nice to know that you're cared about. Yeah, and so good luck to you, Ryan, with uh, your upcoming uh, expansion of your family. Hope it all goes well and smoothly. Yeah. Yeah, if he if he doesn't arrive on his own, we're uh, we're going in to get him on uh, on on Thursday. So, <laughs> all right, it's gonna be it's gonna be a heck of a week. <laughs> so we'll keep our fingers crossed for you. And I appreciate uh, it. That might mean there'll be a little bit of a hiatus here on rocks across the pond, but uh, don't worry, we'll be back. Yep, we will. Yeah, we'll be, I've been told that I will be able to record with you again, so that's good. Um, <laughs> and you know, we might we might throw in a couple of uh, a couple of substitute hosts for me uh, while uh, during these next couple months. But we'll 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 still be recording throughout the summer, and we'll still be putting out episodes. Um, so thank you to everyone who. Uh, listen to this. Um, good luck to everyone going to Westchester for Arena Nationals. Um, it sounds like it's going to be uh, a great event and maybe the best one that they've had when you factor in the fact that you're, you you don't have any clubs sending multiple teams and a, a location that has hosted this event before and knows what goes into it. I think it's going to be a fantastic event. I look forward to hearing from everyone about, about how it went. Um, if you need to get a hold of us, uh, we have a website now. It is rocksacrossthepond.com. That's where you can find all of our episodes and any blog posts that Jonathan puts out. He likes to write coaching blogs every now and then, and now we've got a place to put them on rocksacrossthepond.com. You can email us at rocksacrossthepond at gmail.com. And of course, you can find us on social media. We're on Facebook and Instagram at rocksacrossthepond. And you can tweet at us at curlingpodcast. Uh, it's how we were able to talk to a lot of these clubs. I slid into a lot of DMs, both in Twitter and Instagram, to get uh, all of this information on these teams and sent a lot of emails. So again, thank you to everyone who took the time to respond and good luck this weekend. We hope to hear from you about how it went and uh, we will talk to you again soon. Thank you, everybody.